Visit CruiseCultureApparel.com for the latest issue of Cruise Culture Magazine, featuring the raddest home and garage-built rides. You are listening to the Cruise Culture Magazine podcast, covering all of your favorite articles from the magazine and more. Like, subscribe, and tell us what you think in the comments below. Keep Cruise Culture alive. What is up, cruisers? I'm your host, Cruisin' Caddy, and today we are back to talk about the chicken tax. You may ask yourself why, or what, or how. Does this have anything to do with cruise culture? Interesting. I know, we'll get to that in a moment. But first, some housekeeping. Make sure you are following along with us on YouTube and Instagram. We post some cool content almost every day, and if you sign up for emails on our website, cruiseculturaapparel.com, you will get emails notifying you of the latest magazine, products, blogs, events, videos, and podcasts. While you are there, you can shop our collection of apparel and all of our issues of Cruise Culture Magazine and support our channels. We really do appreciate each and every order we get, so thank you. Please also remember that Brian is still doing artwork of your rides for you, for your business, or just to get your own ride on a shirt, you can find more information and pricing at cruiseculturaapparel.com slash pages slash apparel. There's a form near the bottom of the page. We have also opened up a tab on our website for retailers, shops, vendors, or others who might be interested in selling our magazine and products in our showroom or store. So if you are interested in that, make sure to check it out. Now, the Chicken Tax, Mini Trucks, Forbidden Fantasy Canada, and Dale's Mazda B2200. In 1963, the United States imposed a 25% tariff on imported light trucks, including mini trucks, in response to tariffs imposed by France and Germany on imported American chickens. This retaliatory policy, known as the chicken tax, was intended to protect the American auto industry and domestic producers of light trucks. Although the chicken tax was intended to be a temporary measure, it remains in effect today and has had lasting effects on the auto industry. The chicken tax was originally imposed as part of the Kennedy administration's efforts to reduce the trade deficit and protect American businesses. At the time, France and Germany were imposing heavy tariffs on imported American poultry, and the United States retaliated by imposing tariffs on imported light trucks. One unintended consequence of the chicken tax was that it had a major impact on the mini truck market. Mini trucks, which are small, lightweight trucks, were becoming increasingly popular in the United States in the 1960s and 1970s. However, because of the chicken tax, many foreign manufacturers stopped exporting their mini trucks to the United States. This gave American automakers, such as Ford and General Motors, a significant advantage in the light truck market. The chicken tax also had a significant impact on the American consumer. Because of the tariff, imported light trucks, including mini trucks, became much more expensive than their American-made counterparts. This limited consumer choice and made it more difficult for consumers to find affordable, fuel-efficient vehicles. In addition, the chicken tax has been criticized for limiting competition and innovation in the auto industry. Despite these criticisms, the chicken tax remains in effect today. Although it was intended to be a temporary measure, the policy has been extended several times and has become a permanent fixture in the American trade policy. The policy has also been extended to include other types of vehicles, including vans and SUVs. 
In recent years, manufacturers like Ford, who now have plants overseas that produce some of their vehicles, and Mercedes, dart run the tax by importing transit vehicles outfitted as passenger cars and then have their rear seats, seat belts, etc., stripped from them pre-sale. There has been renewed controversy over the chicken tax. Some argue that the policy has outlived its usefulness and that it is no longer necessary to protect the American auto industry. Others argue that the policy should be expanded to include other types of vehicles, such as electric cars, to protect American businesses. It is interesting to think what the mini truck scene might look like today if the chicken tax had never been. Would imported mini trucks have been that much more affordable? Would they have advanced quicker in the market to attract more American buyers? Would American-built mini trucks have better features and innovations and more models to choose from if the imported mini trucks were more of a competition? How would this affect the custom mini truck scene? Let us know what you think and maybe we can dive deeper into this on a future episode. The custom mini truck scene started in the United States in the late 1970s and early 1980s. At the time, Japanese automakers such as Toyota, Nissan, and Mazda were producing small pickup trucks that were affordable, reliable, and fuel-efficient. These trucks became popular among young people who were looking for an affordable way to modify and customize their vehicles. The custom mini-truck scene was largely influenced by the low-rider and hot-rod cultures that had been popular in the United States since the 1950s. Many truck enthusiasts began to modify their trucks by lowering them, adding custom paint, and installing aftermarket wheels and tires. Many also added air suspension systems that allowed them to raise and lower the truck with the push of a button. One of the most iconic features of custom mini trucks is the body drop, which involves removing the truck's stock body and lowering it down over the frame rails by raising the floors. This creates a lower, sleeker profile and allows the truck to sit closer to the ground. As the custom mini truck scene grew in popularity, it also began to attract the attention of manufacturers and aftermarket parts suppliers. Companies like Airride Technologies, Belltech, and Groundforce began producing specialized suspension components, body kits, and other accessories specifically designed for mini trucks. This made it easier for enthusiasts to modify their trucks and achieve the look and performance they desired. In the 1990s, the custom mini truck scene reached new heights of popularity, with magazines like Mini Truck and Sport Truck dedicating entire issues to the latest trends and builds. Custom mini truck shows also became more common, with events like the Lowrider Truck Nationals showcasing some of the most impressive builds in the scene. However, as with many automotive subcultures, the custom mini truck scene has also faced some challenges over the years. In the early 2000s, stricter emissions regulations and safety standards made it more difficult to modify vehicles without running into red tape. The rising cost of parts and labor also made it harder for enthusiasts to afford the custom builds they wanted. Despite these challenges, the custom mini truck scene remains a vibrant and innovative subculture that continues to push the boundaries of automotive customization. From airbrushed murals and chrome-plated engine bays to fully functional hydraulic systems and state-of-the-art audio setups, custom mini-trucks offer a unique blend of style and performance that has captured the imaginations of enthusiasts for decades. In recent years, the custom mini-truck scene has also embraced new technologies and trends. For example, many enthusiasts are now using 3D printing and CNC machining to create custom parts and accessories for their trucks. Others are experimenting with electric and hybrid powertrains, which offer the potential for improved efficiency and performance. At the same time, the scene has also faced criticism. 
Some people have argued that the modifications made to mini trucks can be unsafe, particularly if they involve significant changes to the vehicle's suspension or braking systems. Others have criticized the scene for promoting a low and slow driving style that can be dangerous on public roads. Another important factor in the custom mini truck scene is the sense of community and camaraderie among enthusiasts. Many people who are involved in the scene see it as a way to connect with like-minded individuals who share their passion for customizing and modifying vehicles. This has led to the formation of numerous clubs and online communities where enthusiasts can share photos, advice, and ideas. In addition to the social aspect, the custom mini truck scene has also had an impact on the broader automotive industry. Many of the modifications and techniques developed by mini truck enthusiasts have been adopted by other automotive subcultures, such as the stance and drifting scenes. The scene has also inspired numerous aftermarket companies to develop new products and technologies that benefit the wider automotive community. It's worth noting that the custom mini truck scene has also been influenced by cultural and societal factors over the years. For example, in the 1990s, the scene was closely associated with the West Coast hip-hop culture, with many rappers and musicians featuring custom mini trucks in their music videos and on album covers. This helped to popularize the scene among a wider audience and gave it a distinctive style and aesthetic. Looking to the future, it's clear that the custom mini truck scene will continue to evolve and adapt to changing trends and technologies. With the rise of electric and autonomous vehicles, it will be interesting to see how enthusiasts incorporate these new technologies into their builds. At the same time, the scene will likely remain a vibrant and creative subculture that celebrates individuality, creativity, and a love of all things automotive. Overall, the custom mini truck scene is a fascinating and dynamic subculture that has had a significant impact on the automotive world. Its history is rich and varied, and its future is full of exciting possibilities. Whether you are a diehard enthusiast or simply appreciate the unique style and creativity of custom mini trucks, there is something to admire and enjoy in this vibrant and ever-changing scene. While we are on a roll with mini trucks, I figured let's jump back to one of our most popular issues from October of 2022. Brian wrote two relevant articles, one about Forbidden Fantasy Canada, the mini truck club chapter from the north, and another on Dale Quaz and his Mazda V2200 from the same club. I got to meet most of the individuals at the Forbidden Fantasy Canada show and Shine 2022 event in Blackfalds, Alberta. The event now takes the place of Battle at the Bridge event held in Lethbridge prior to the pandemic. Put on with short notice, the event was a great day out on the grass with a nice break from the heat wave we had been having prior to the event. Food trucks, vendors, mini truckers, and clubs were in attendance with top 15 awards and best of show. Even though the show was held by the mini truck club, all vehicles were welcome and respect was shown to all styles in the top 15, including muscle cars, rat rods, mini trucks, lowriders, etc. I had a blast at the event and was told that it was pretty tame compared to the usual annual show. With more time to plan the event for 2023, it should blow this one out of the water. I'm sure everyone has spotted the infamous Forbidden Fantasy logo or the FF logo in the mini truck scene and are aware of their existence, but what you may not know is that they have gone worldwide with chapters all over including Canada. In 2012, Lethbridge raised and now Innisdale residents, Rich Shuchuk, longtime mini trucker and now Canadian chapter president, and his wife Jilly, 
who in my personal opinion was very much the cool club mom. Talked to Corrine Goud, club president in SoCal about petitioning to start a Canadian chapter and petition as the first members of the chapter. In 2013, the plan came to fruition and they began to recruit local friends in the scene, including Kevin Balmer, Clint Taylor, Mark Gratkovic, who was Canadian chapter vice president, Alan Lothian, Dale Quas, Craig Inkster, and Grant Brown. The chapter has grown to 19 full members, including Rich and Julie's daughter Preston debuting her 1993 Maroon Mazda B2600i. The club is full of local iconic vehicles and businesses of central Alberta including Overkill Customs, owned by Rich himself, and his wife's 1991 S10 Blazer Candy, Syndicate Auto Salon, part owner Kevin Balmer, and his 2008 of the URX, Tomahawk Customs, owner Mark Rakovic, and his 2008 GMC Sierra 1500 and many more. The chapter is coming up on its 10-year anniversary next year. Rich himself is building his 1991 Mazda V2200 called Final Destination. The name inspired by all the previous owners who started or had plans to build it and never did. I had the pleasure of attending the club after party hosted by Dale Quaz, whose 86 Mazda V2200 is on the cover of this issue. This gave me the chance to see firsthand the camaraderie this club has, get to know some of the members and even their families. The group was welcoming and friendly with an appetite for a good time. I got to witness the brotherhood and sisterhood of the club and the reason why the third F in FFS stands for family, at least the PG version. I got to learn about Jilly's disgust but also obsession with Fireball. I also got to meet Dale's stuffed cock which he kept on a shelf just out of reach from himself. Petting, flashing, and just the tip jokes ensued. The club holds an annual Christmas party as well as some deep fried chicken wing nights for their members, families, and close friends. You'd find the club represented at shows like Dropsicles Meltdown in Edmonton Street Machine Weekend in Lethbridge and at some smaller local shows including Thursday Night Cruise Nights in Red Deer. All jokes aside, I look forward to spending more time with them and featuring more of their awesome rides and even a feature on Overkill Customs in a future issue. Forbidden Fantasy Canada would like to give a special shout-out to all the wives and significant others that allow them to be so involved in this fantastic hobby. That article was written by Brian Holsley and was also his very first time doing any sort of photography. Now for the article from the same issue on Dale and his B2200. We are red with envy over Dale Quaz of Forbidden Fantasy Canada and his 1986 Mazda V2200. Originally purchased in 2005 as a daily driver, Dale quickly changed his mind and started building the mini truck. Quaz's mini truck fever started very young and in high school, he static dropped a 1990 Isuzu pickup, but this one was going to be different. Within the first week of owning it, he slammed it, bought Pathfinder wheels for it, spray bombed it flat black and installed a full custom audio system in it. In 2007, he unfortunately scrubbed a pole at a gas station, and a frustration drove him to park it, blow it apart and start to back it. Then, the wads apart started and down to the frame it went for a full custom build including a body drop. Over the next several years Dale picked away at it, collected parts and knowledge and finally in 2013 he drove it for the first time again. The first time I drove the truck bagged, it was a hell of an experience driving something you built from the ground up. I still stand by the quote built not bought, says Dale. As it sits today, the list of modifications is long and impressive. 
The frame is C-notched with an AirRide Tech 4-link, Fox shocks, Toyota pickup rear end and front spindles to convert to 5 lug hubs, 2,500 bags out front and 2,600 out back, with an actuaire manifold and controller. He bought a body cab when he started the build, but it has since been redone with bigger wheel tubs and even pushed the firewall back 2 inches with a new trans tunnel for the motor swap. Shaved door handles, tailgate, custom sheet metal in the box, shaved B-pillars, and he rebuilt rockers and roll pan all the way around with 3 16 inch and 1 quarter inch steel, so they don't get destroyed when driving low. A pine wood bed floor, a full chrome grill and bumper, and then the whole truck is coated in Viper red paint. For a finishing touch the back window is glued in with no rubber molding for a more modern look. It's been 5.3-liter LS swapped with hand-built headers, engine and transmission mounts for the 4L60E, full dual 2.5-inch exhaust, Impala SS radiator with electric fans, polished valve covers, and it's rewired with a Chevy harness that has been cut and trimmed to run the truck front to back. The interior has a paint match dash and aluminum 2-inch bead rolled door panels but done in a matte finish. It has an Alpine and Kicker audio system and topped off with a bunch of handmade polished billet aluminum bits and pieces to match the OG BAD steering wheel and polished column cover. Finally, it's sitting on 18-inch Fuslasso wheels. Dale plans to add twin turbos, polished intake, and more billet under the hood. He would like to do a full custom interior starting with a new seat. He would like to paint the front bumper, bigger audio, new wheels, and do something different for the hood. Dale states, I have always been obsessed, my parents never were but they always supported it and I couldn't be more grateful for it. But I can remember being in elementary school in Lloydminster in the mid-90s and my sister's friends being into trucks, and they actually took me to my first show that had a lot of mini trucks and customs, I was hooked, vehicles are my life, I have been a car audio installer at a couple shops, worked at a few custom shops over the years doing a huge variation of builds from lifted trucks, S-bale wagons, big rigs, jet boats, lowriders, muscle cars, and classics. Even when I try to lead the automotive industry, I always get brought back in, says Dale. Dale Daly drives a 2003 two-wheel drive Tahoe, blacked out, mild out, and slammed with a Denali front clip and some natural weight reduction. You can catch Dale and his Mazda at the annual FFF show and shine in Blackfalls, Dropsicles Meltdown, Red Deer Cruise Night, and numerous other local car shows. And maybe in the future we can catch Dale out in his latest project, a 1983 Chevy C10 Custom Deluxe he got from his good friend Pat. So far he has cut it down to a short box and installed a big notch. Big thank you to Greg at Greg's Paint and Collision for laying down the paint and coaching me on the bodywork, Mark at Tomahawk Customs and Detail for the help and advice, Andrew at Fusion Glass for the glass and showing me how to install and help on the windows, Kenmec Parts and Gibson's BC for the paint, Des for building the wood bed floor, Des and Alan for the bodywork help, Jared at KCG Laser for cutting the aluminum parts and fabrication parts, Sean at Visions for the audio and training, and thank you my fellow members of Forbidden Fantasy for the help, advice, and convincing me not to burn it or sell it. Also big thanks to all the employers and friends that have helped over the years with guidance, support, and shop beers. Adds Dale. This truck was 94% built in the garage at home by me, lots of hand-built parts slash brackets slash panels slash mounts, not a many off-the-shelf custom parts for a Mazda are available. I didn't know how to do most of the things done to it, but I tried and tried until I figured it out, lots of internet research, and picking people's brains, I learned so much building this truck. The suspension has been redone three times, it's been four different colors, 
three different engines. It sat for years during the initial build. It's even been on fire once, and I wouldn't have changed it for the world. It was an amazing experience and anyone can do the same. So many people have asked, how did you do this or that? And my response is always the same. I just tried it. I'd rather learn than pay someone to do it. I learned how to weld, do wiring, do body work, fabrication and mechanical in this truck. It wasn't always right or done correctly and I learned the hard way a lot. But I had some pretty amazing people that showed me the right way to do things. Thank you those people, stated Dale. That article was also written and photographed by Brian Holsley and is available on our website, cruisecultureapparel.com. Make sure you pick this one up as it is one that sells out often. Well, that's all I have for you today. Thanks again for listening and don't forget to share your feedback and let us know what you think about the podcast. Do you want to see these episodes get longer or cover other topics? Let us know. We are having a blast with this so far and appreciate all of you. I'm your host, Cruising Caddy, and as always, keep cruise culture alive. Thank you for listening to Cruise Culture Magazine Podcast with new episodes every Mondays and Thursdays at noon. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss one and tell us in the comments what you want to hear in a future episode. Keep cruise culture alive.